Welcome to DBPA, the Drunk Bitches Podcast. I'm Jamie. And I'm Sarah. Each episode, we pair a wine with a topic where you get more lip with each sip. So let's get started. But first, pass the wine, bitch. Hey, DB peeps. Welcome to Hungry for Hungry. (laughs) This this is your host, Jamie, (laughs) speaking. No, and Sarah. I'm here. (laughs) I am. We're hungry for hungry wine. Maybe thirsty, too. Yes. I think that's probably more accurate, but... But we like the hungry for hungry. Hungry for hungry. It just had to be done. It had to be done. You know, you can, like, hunger for... Wine. It's true. So... I hunger for wine, like, almost every day. Yeah. (laughs) When four o'clock hits, man. Exactly. Okay, so today we're actually going to be talking about Hungarian wine. I've never had it. I know you have. I haven't. So I'm excited. And the funniest thing is that Sarah purchased this bottle. Sarah purchased this bottle and then said, hey, I have a Hungarian wine. We should do a Hungarian wine episode. And it was the same one you drank. It's the same exact wine. Well, the same wine, different vintage than the one I drank. So if it's anything like what I had two years ago, I think we're in for a treat. Okay. So, so this is a 2019. I'm going to crack it. Please do. What are we drinking? Um, okay. It is Evolucio. Am I saying that right? I think so. Okay. Evolucio. The E is backwards, which is kind of confusing to me. I'm not sure why. Because we do know that foreign languages often have like weird yeah, things too. I don't know. So but, but um, I think it's just a branding. Yes, but it's ferment. Am I saying that right? I think. Okay. I believe that it's actually pronounced ferment, but if you say ferment, I'm gonna go right. I'm gonna with go you. with ferment. Okay, because that's what it says. So we also have a third member of DVP here, uh, little Winston here. So you might hear him gnawing on a delicious on a treat. Yeah, he won't go. He's like he won't go. Away. He won't go. Away. <laughs> he just interrupts all my things, <laughs> my work calls. My the podcast. Ghost and the phantom opening yeah. doors. He's just like, yeah, I'm here. Like, you deal with it. All right. Let me crack this thing. Okay. Oh, here, let me give you my. So, glass. yeah, it is a screw top. I should have said that as I'm cracking it. So, there's I, no pop. Okay. Oh, my God. That's a big pour. Okay. I mean, um, it is a Friday. It is, night. It is 12% so. ABV. So, wait. 12% ABV. It's like a light wheat color, I would call it. To me, when I pour this, I feel like it looks it looks Pinot Grigio-esque, color-wise. And I will equate it to that color-wise this, instead of a Riesling, because Riesling is much lighter. It smells like a Sauvignon Blanc. It does. It's everything, but it's everything that it's not. It smells exactly like to- a Sauvignon Blanc to me. Um, like, it, there's kind of got that green... A little grassy thing. Yeah. But, but maybe a little bit of Riesling, too. A little bit of lemony peel. Yeah, which is like the right. Riesling for me. Okay, cheers. cheers. Yay. Winston, cheers. <laughs> I was just imagining cheersing oh. a dog, but that's fine. He does have that um, wine uh, toy you got him. That's and he- true. Robert Mutt Davi is still it's still alive. It's, oh yeah, it's still in the in the rotation. Okay, <laughs> it's good to know it's lasted. Yeah, this is this is uh, it's kind of delightful. 
for being an unusual grape. And we'll talk about why it's an unusual grape, but it's like, it's an indigenous grape to Hungary. So you're not going to really find it here in the States unless you happen to find it from one of these Eastern European countries. Right. Because um, there are a couple other places. <laughs> See, you, you put him away, you put him in the other room, he just comes right back. He just right comes right back. back. He's like a yep. boomerang. Mm-hmm. He's like Velcro. <laughs> a little Winston, piece of black you. Velcro. I love you, but I mean, come on, dude. Right. Just want to so you're saying, I'm sorry to interrupt. That's okay. I kind of forgot. <laughs> okay, but this is. <laughs> have we been drinking yet? Because I feel no. like we have been. It's been it's a kind of the week. funny thing. Yeah, it has been. We were recording this on a Friday, guys. Yeah. Um, it's been a long week. <laughs> I don't know. Uh, okay. So ferment is. Oh, I was saying it's like indigenous. It's indigenous to Hungary. Uh, you can find it in a couple other Eastern European countries. But it is going to be grown very minimally. And I think across like the board, we are seeing anywhere between like ten to 13,000 acres planted of ferment. I read that it can grow in Slovenia, Croatia, mm-hmm. Slovakia, and Romania. There's actually different names for it in those countries, though, too. Oh, is that right? Yeah. Um, hold on, I'll tell you. So it can be called Mosler, Moslavic, Posip. And Saipan. I'm pl- probably not saying those correctly. But that's those are the names for it in like Croatia, Slovakia, and Romania. Interessante. Yeah. Primarily Hungarian. And primarily it actually makes a sweet wine, which we're going to talk about. Yes. That's what it's historically been made, been, it's been uh, famous for. And how do you say that? Do you know how? Tokai Azu, okay. I think, is okay. how it's pronounced. I know it's Tokai is how you pronounce that. And what I learned is that the I at the end of it means that it's of. So if you see, like Tokai oh, is which like makes the sense region. because the region is Tokai. Okay. Mm-hmm. That but was confusing to me. Okay. Tossing in the I at the end of that, it's still pronounced the same way, but it means it's of Tokai. Got it. Got it. Okay. Yeah. So yes, ferment ferment is usually has been historically the grape to make Tokai Azure, which is apparently a very famous, very well known dessert wine. I mean, I've never had it. It's apparently extremely intense and equated to like sauterne. Yeah, which like I love. So it has some like royal roots too. So um, did we decide which Louis? Oh, yes, we did. Okay, the 15th. 15th. Okay. Mm. Louis the 15th called it the wine of kings and the king of wines. And that is like quoted in like everything you find on ferment and Tokai is that quote is in there. So for the sweeter wine again. Mm -hmm. So they say it's one of the greatest dessert wines in the world. I would love to try it. I mean, I would too. Yeah, I don't know how much it is, but... Um, but anyway, so that's what most of the ferment in hung- Hungary has usually been used for. And there's 60% of all grapes planted there are ferment. Mm-hmm. And the reason is, is because they're high in acid, they are late ripening, they are thin-skinned, and they're easily susceptible to uh, botrytis. It sounds like Riesling. Yeah. I mean... Like a late like a late harvest Riesling? Right, right. Yeah. So that's why it is really good to 
to make sweet this sweet wine with. Well, and I th- I keep hearkening that you know ferment is the wine that it's not, or it's every other wine that it's not because it takes these characteristics. It has very close similarities to Riesling, but also as Sarah just described, it's made like we're drinking a dry wine or at least off dry, and it's used to make some of the sweetest dessert wines, much like. Riesling, much like Chenin Blanc. Yeah. Actually, it's funny you say that because Hugh Johnson is this wine critic, and I actually have his book, really old book. He's a really old dude. Yeah, and it's a wine (laughs) atlas, and he's, um, he founded the Royal Tokai Wine Company, which produces the Oddity, which is another dry ferment, and he describes it as Chenin Blanc, described it as Chenin Blanc with attitude. Okay. So perfect. There, that's it goes into exactly what you say. It definitely does. Um, but anyways, apparently because it, so they used to make the sweet wine with it, then they started making the drier version of ferment, which is what we're drinking, um, which doesn't have the botrytis. Typically, sometimes some of the drier versions can have a little bit of botrytis on it, and that usually will have some more honeycomb and jasmine notes. But this is a very dry, lemony green apple wine wine folly also mentions notes of ginger smoke and pepperoncini i don't get any of that ginger maybe power of persuasion the other two i'm not feeling that um you know i smoke definitely definitely not for me but i am getting a slight there's like a slight creaminess Mm -hmm. just like just a hint. You know, it's so funny because this tastes so much like a wine we've drank before, and I cannot put my finger on which one. It's not Kendall Jackson. No, 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 no. Not that disaster. No. We'll figure it we'll Not figure because it out. Kendall Jackson's disaster, but because the wine was too old. We, I lesson that, learned. Yes, I lesson it had learned. gone bad. So that was my fault. Um But yeah, so because it's like dry and acidic, there's a few things there. It can um, apparently cellar for 10 plus years because of the high acidity. Oh, even the dry ones? Yeah. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. I believe that. Yeah, yeah. And um, also it's good to pair with like seafood and sushi and spicy foods, vegetables, but also something very popular in Hungary is paprika. Yeah, Karen McNeil has this whole thing on paprika. Does I, she? I'm not a whole. Pe- I'm not a huge paprika fan. I know you're like thing? allergic to it, right? I well, I thought I had some reaction to it, but yeah, it's out, it's a it's okay. my husband's family um, has some Serbian roots, and so there's a lot of they cook a lot with paprika. Um, so chicken paprikash is a very common dish in Hungary, and so they say that this pairs very well with that. Chicken dishes especially. But like if you were going to do something more to America, like a lemon chicken probably would be good. Or or lemon pepper or something. Oh, I mean, I think, yeah. Anyways. That would definitely be complimentary flavors if you do like the lemon chicken. So we'll get into a little bit about like hungry history. But before that, I kind of want to talk about this wine in particular. So I couldn't find too much on it. But it's apparently made from... A selection of vineyards identified to create a well-balanced and food-complementing wine. And it's hand... The the, the grapes are hand-picked. The okay. fruits are selected in the vineyard. And then only the perfectly ripe fruits are used. Then they do a second, like, screening in the cellar to check for the fruit. Then they use a pneumatic press. 
Well, so that's going to be like a gentle press. Yes. Um, then the must is settled. And then after settling, they ferment it in stainless steel tanks and then age it for six months in the tank and then further in the bottle. So there's no oak on this wine. I mean, I guess that makes sense. Um, the one thing, though, about that, so the stainless steel, obviously, that's going to with like hold a lot of the fruit characteristics in here. Yeah. But what strikes me is the additional ferment in the bottle. Oh, yeah. Like, it's kind of unique. How is that? Well, because when we think about things that get fermented in a bottle, champagne, right? True. Champagne method. Mm -hmm. So I will admit that when I read that note, I was like, is this going to be slightly effervescent? Like, I don't remember it being slightly effervescent, but you never know. It's not, but I that it found that very surprising. I know that, like... Wine continues to evolve as it's in the bottle. And so that's why they say, you know, you age something because it changes. It's a, it's a living thing. It's a living thing. Yeah. There's, there's, there's still protein. There's still enzymes and things like that that are breaking down and, you know, all of that stuff. And so the wine you get, like if we were to have the same wine even a year from now, it would taste different if you were able to do a quote-unquote side-by-side. But at any rate... Um, yeah, I was I was surprised to learn about that second fer- fermentation in the bottle because to me I just immediately thought of champagne. But yeah, I didn't even think about that, but you're right. I don't have too much more on this wine to be honest with you. There's not there's not that much out there on it, but if we want to talk a little bit about Hungary itself. So do you know much about Hungary cuz I really don't. I mean, I know that it is like I know the vicinity of where it is. <laughs> I would hope so. You were like right there. Yeah, I know. <laughs> Most of what I know about it is what I learned in my class last year. Okay. So that goes to say like I'm still, I mean, I'm familiar with it. Okay. But I know Hungary, it like has like very old and particularly Eastern Europe has a lot of very old history in terms of wine. And though we don't really see a lot of Hungarian wine coming over to the United States, that doesn't mean that it's not a force to be reckoned with, if you will. Yeah. So, yeah. I th- So this one, it's interesting, too, because for as old as the winemaking practices are, which I think some of them date back to, like, the 9th century, too, but it's a landlocked place. And I feel like what we what I learned is that a lot of the European cities and countries – that really became more prominent in winemaking, it was because they were along rivers and had ports and, and along rivers and along, um, um, what's it called? Like big estuaries and, and bigger, you know, trade ships would go up and down the coastal areas and things like yeah. that. So I just find it kind of surprising that this is so... Well, the, it, they do have the Danube River. That's which, true. Which is in the middle of the country and runs north to south. But if you look, I mean, at like the major wine-growing regions here, they're not smack dab on the Danube. It's true. So... Yeah. I mean, it's not a big um, country either, but... No, it's not. It's just slightly bigger than Scotland. So it's um, it's pretty small. So interestingly, it sits on a, at a northern latitude on par with Burgundy. Because of that, it's well suited to make these crisp, light white wines because they have fairly cool climates, but mm-hmm. they have really hot summers. So those really hot summers and very cold winters, they also have pretty ripe bold reds. 
They have this red known as the bull's blood. Yes. Have you ever had it? I have not. Okay. I I heard about it. It's from one of the wine regions called Eker. And I don't know if I'm saying that That, correctly. um, No, I don't know either. Okay. (laughs) I'm not even going to try and say some of these wine regions. I do know. I did pull. So it's, we would call it bull's blood. Okay. It's also called Egri Bikavere from Egger. Okay. There's a lot of weird spelling things going okay. on here. Um, but this has such an interesting lore behind it. And it does. I yes. Tell like me. Wh- okay, so it's called Bull's Blood for a reason. And it's made mostly of the Kadarka grape, but there are apparently like a bunch of other grapes that can go into it, more indigenous grapes. But I wonder anyway. if you can find it here. You know, Since I didn't it's even not try a to look. Co- Yeah, it's not a common I mean, because the whites are more common. True. True. Right? So, okay. So, bull's blood comes from a legend that dates back to the Turkish siege of Egger Fortress in the 16th century. So, apparently, um, the Magyars, they were under siege by the Turks. They were really, like, you know, kind of down on their luck. And they were like, oh, my God, this is so ridiculous. And we can't do this. The commander ordered the soldiers to be given wine and delicious food. Probably because he was like, these guys are going to fucking die soon. Yeah. Like, might as well let them go out happy and not right. drunk. Right. So after drinking the wine, their spirit returned. And the, supposedly their beards were dripping with, ri- with wine and glistened red. And the Turks took flight because they were like, what the fuck? These guys are madmen. That's hilarious. But supposedly the Turkish soldiers said that it was bull's blood mixed with red wine. Otherwise, they wouldn't have been able to take on I mean, the maybe, Turkish. I mean, maybe it was. Don't you think that that's just like some story spun by the Turks because they were like, oh, I, I got to save face when I go back home because some dudes just got drunk? That's true, but also, like, I don't know, like, the men from that part of the country are not, I feel like they're... They do a lot of weird things. I was going to say, I feel like they're, they're you know, pretty tough. So, like... People, yes, I know people drink blood. It's I mean, a weird thing. maybe they, maybe they did do that. That is why it's called bull's blood. That's okay, like I feel like it. we need to get our hands. On bull's blood? Yeah, I bet you totally. I'm not sure if I it. could, like, really drink it. Even well, it's I just wine. Not, I know that, but <laughs> I just feel like there's, you know, you there's, think that maybe they actually like dripped bowls of like blood mental, in there. There's like a mental hurdle. It could be a secret ingredient. Well, I don't you, know. Wait, could be one on drop of bull's blood per bottle of wine. Hang on a second. Are there not finding agents? Yeah, there is like egg yolk and stuff, but I don't know like the Hungarian like laws. You know how like the French have like very strict rules for that kind of stuff. Yes. And like we don't here in the United States. I don't know what the Hungarian rules are for fining agents. This is interesting. Okay. Okay. I mean, I'm not going to look all that up right now. Oh my gosh. So Jamie's uh, going down a rabbit hole here. I'm slightly going down a rabbit hole. Yeah. Um, But yeah. Well, now we need to try that. I'm just saying. So. Okay. Hungarians have been... I mean, obviously, that story. They've been making wine for a really long time. A very long time. Um, they, at least to the Roman times. So it was believed that wine was brought into the region by the Romans by the 5th century AD. 
It says that vines were planted. Yeah. Not necessarily that they were totally making oh wine. wine. Right. Yes. Right. Um, but okay, let's fast forward. Okay, yeah. To all of that. So we have then obviously communism most recently. And prior to the fall of communism in Hungary in 1989, the wine industry was actually controlled by the state. And because of that, the quality was apparently dismal. Like, Mm -hmm. they shipped a lot of wine out of the country. Like, they had barely any quality standards and all of that. quantity over quality. It was exactly. Um, They also were affected by phylloxera. Mm -hmm. So that was another thing. So for a long time, they didn't really have good wine there. With the whole phylloxera thing, they a lot of those indigenous grapes got pulled up and replanted with some of the more international varieties, which is why you see a lot of the, like, Blaufrankisch, which is very common in Austria, Austria right. Germany, but um, the Bordeaux varieties, too. Like, you see Cabernet Sauvignon, you see Merlot, you see, I mean, I believe that Chardonnay is also grown here. Oh, okay. So, um, I mean, that's not Bordeaux, but just other, like, French and Italian varietals have been planted in Hungary just because of the whole phylloxera thing. But most recently, they've brought back the quality of the wine. As we can see, kind of from what we're drinking here, it's nice to see, I don't know, that in our lifetime, the wine's been brought back. Yes, we have been alive that long. Yeah. (laughs) (laughs) We're not 25, so. We're not. I mean, not that much older than 25, okay, but... (laughs) Not quite 25. Not so. quite 25. Not 90s babies. Nope. Mm-mm. Mm-mm. So um, it is nice to see that. And that's probably part of the reason why, you know, we don't see too many Hungarian wines. Um, also, 2012, I mean, that is a long time ago. There was about 515 wineries estimated. But that didn't count like these smaller home wineries that are like yeah that are like or like even just an acre or two okay there's probably a lot more by now and i think we said how many acres of ferment is planted well i think around the world it's somewhere around thirteen thousand. i think you found something about ten thousand. so maybe that is specifically hungary in hungary Mm -hmm. Mm -hmm. i mean that's Um, not because again like there are the other like the surrounding countries of Hungary that also grow this particular grape. My book here says that there's 68,000 hectares of wine, total wine, planted. I don't know how to do the equation. I know. Okay, I can look that up. Yeah, and there's there's a lot of, there's actually 22, I think. What did you say, 68,000? Yeah. There's actually 22 wine regions, but about five to seven are the most important. Like, depending on who you ask. Like, so obviously, Tokai is the most prestigious. That's the one we're talking about. Mm-hmm. Um, there's also Eager, like we talked about. I honestly can't say the other ones. Do you want me to? Zard. <laughs> Kunsag, maybe? Nagisamlo? Yeah, I don't know. Villainy? Balaton? Yeah. Something, something? Obviously, we're... We need to slaughtering take a class. it. We're slaughtering it. It's we need fine. someone Hungarian to come and tell us it's fine. What people. we're saying, yeah. Oh, also so. conversion hectares. Yeah. If sixty-eight thousand hectares is equivalent to about one hundred and sixty-eight thousand acres, that's a lot. It actually is. You multiply the area value by two point four seven one. 
Okay. Okay. Let's see if I can remember that in the future. Yeah. Uh, probably not. That's all right. So apparently they were one of the first countries to devise a meticulously de- detailed classification of yes. the wine areas. Yes. This is what surprised me. Yeah. So this actually happened in 1730. Wow. That was when they established their first classification system. It has since, I believe it was in the 90s, 1990, that they placed a more stringent regulation on what that classification system is and what's included in each of the levels there. Uh-huh. But yeah, I thought that was wild because everybody talks about the 1855 classification of Bordeaux, mm-hmm. like as if that's like the word of God. Right. But the, yeah, this has been, has been around much longer, much longer. So the other wine region that I was trying to say is yes. Kansa, Kansag. And that's in the Danube region. So that is by the by the Danube River. Okay. And that accounts for 30% of their national production. Really? Yeah. So Is it just like local stuff then? It is I'm sorry, what? Like is it just local? local? Like like, like it doesn't get exported. Like it's oh, just, I see what you're or saying. it goes into like more like bulk oh, okay. stuff. Even yeah. though it's like high production, like is it just general country wine? Um, I don't know. I I don't think so. I mean, so apparently the word for wine in Hungarian is bor, mm-hmm. B-O-R. It's one of the only languages besides the Greek where the word for wine doesn't come from the Latin word vinum, V-I-N-U-M. Um, but I think you can look for the words... Oh, God, I can't even say it. <laughs> I just want to hear M-I-N-O-S-E-G-I. No, that's not fair. Minosegi, bor. And that means that... So it's one of the measures of quality that indicates like that the wine belongs to one of their 22 appellations, apparently. Oh. So that's what you want to look for on a bottle. Do we? I don't know if it's no, on I'm there. Looking at this one. Hang on. It says wine of Hungary. I don't see anything else. Hmm. Did you see this? Love over money. I, is that like their equivalent of... Quality over quantity. I don't like, know. They don't care about how much money so long as they care about the quality of the product. I'm also interested on why they have birds on their label. I mean, it's, it's kind of a pretty label. Yeah. I don't know. Anyway. So their national anthem actually mentions Tokai. Really? Yeah. It's... Are you going to sing it for us? No. Or what? Hell no. <laughs> <laughs> for us... Not, not that drunk. <laughs> no, 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 no. I need like way more of that to me singing. For us on the plains of the coons, you ripened the wheat in the great fields of Tokai, you dripped sweet nectar. Sweet nectar, the yeah. patriotized grapes. Yes. Yeah. So it is part of uh it is part of their national anthem. Okay. The other thing that they're really proud of is their oak. Yes, it's true. So like everyone is getting American or French oak, but they make their own. Well, and apparently other European they probably don't like to talk about it as much, but other European and even North American winemakers use Hungarian oak. I would imagine because it's significantly cheaper than the French mm-hmm. ones. But the Hungarian oak all comes from the Zemplain forest, which is north of Tokai and apparently like right near the Slovakian border. Okay. They were widely exported to France and Italy in the 19th and 20th centuries before the communist rule. And then after the communist rule, like they kind of kept everything all inside Hungary. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. But since the, the fall of that regime, 
It's Hungarian producers that use it as well as, like I said, European and North America. It apparently is a much milder, applies a much more delicate effect than French and American. I appreciate oak. that. When I drink a wine, I don't want to just taste the oak. It should be there to offer some little extra enhancement. Structure. A little flavor. structure. A little structure. Yeah. Thank you. Yeah. And apparently it offers like softer, slightly creamier and toasted flavors and aroma. So Hungarian producers apparently use the Hungarian oak to temper like super intense wines to make it what I would envision much more palatable in the now as opposed yeah. to needing to age because age also helps to temper super intense wines, I think. So, yeah, I just thought that was really interesting because I feel everyone's like, French oak barrels, French oak barrels. Oh, we use French oak barrels. And it's like, cool. <laughs> yeah, like, oh, you're, you're, you're real cool. Yeah. How about you be, like, unique and use some Hungarian oak? Uh, yeah. You know? Yeah. Let's, Save see, let's be cool and use Hungarian. Probably a lot of... I swear, didn't we hear, learn when we were in Napa that French barrel costs thousands of dollars or something absurd? And and a lot of wineries use them like once. Yeah. I don't, it's crazy. It doesn't seem worth it to me, but... No, I mean, don't they sell them to like bourbon makers and things like mm-hmm, that? Mm-hmm. Yeah. Yeah, they do. My brother and sister-in-law just went uh, to the bourbon trail. Yeah. And learn about that. Before we do, like, go back to the wine, I need to pour some wine. I know. It, it, I feel like I should have um, had it in some ice because it, oh, I do I do like it when it's crisp, crisper. Super cold. Super Like, this is... Okay. I know what you're going to say, but say it. What? Nope. Say it. <laughs> this is like... Now I don't even... Oh, okay. Uh, you say this is like drinking lemonade? Well, I was going to say it's like a lemon patio pounder okay yes like our verdello yes yes Mm -hmm. yes but Mm -hmm. it's kind of not the weather for that right now no it does make me feel like because we're like warm and toasty in the house it does make me feel like it might be warm outside the reason why i thought you were gonna say lemonade is because like we were talking about making it super cold and crisp and i'm like god i just to me that's like yeah refreshing super refreshing well it does have a lot of meyer lemon it does have a lot of lemon yeah let's go back and let's do our because i don't know that we fully talked about but i really need to figure out which wine this reminds me of okay one thing i have to say about this the nose is i smell like linen like fresh linen which seems weird okay i've never said that for a wine no you haven't there's like something that's not organic about this smell of it. And I, sorry, that's not meant to like be any sort of harsh or, or dig yeah, at like how it's made. blood in there. Maybe it's like bulls. <laughs> Dear God. <laughs> it is slightly floral on the nose. Maybe that's why I also think it's like linen. It's like a dryer sheet. But on the palate, it's highly acidic. Makes your mouth water. For, I guess for, oh yeah well that's people, how you know it's acidic well I was just gonna say for people who like maybe you know like newer to wine and tuning in acidity it's it sounds weird basically one of the ways to tell is like, does your mouth start to water and if after you drink a wine your mouth starts to water like when you eat like a sour or you candy like or, or like pucker or you pucker yeah that well pucker I think could also be slightly tannic but that's how you know that this is high acidity wine okay I have to say. When I just did the whole like... Did you chew your wine? No, I did the whole thing where you like add the bubbles to your wine. Oh. Mm-hmm. Um, 
Some slurp. Yeah, the slurp. I'm slurping it, you guys, to try and like oxygenate it in my mouth. There you go. Uh, I'm kind of getting a minty taste when I do that. It's like a interesting. Yeah. Like something I would have never tasted otherwise. Well, that's really interesting. And mm-hmm. the thing, remember mm. when you first opened this? And maybe even, okay. Maybe Whoa. I'm just thinking of gum. Do it. Maybe even like bubble gum. Oh, I'm not getting bubble gum. I'm going to get on the spearmint bandwagon because yeah. I think that that is also very like complimentary with the lemon because I think we're getting, it's it's like the very hint of a creaminess. Oh yeah. it's def- There's definitely creaminess. But it's like, you know me, I don't really like the creaminess in wines. Mm-hmm, mm-hmm. So this is certainly palatable for me. It's like, it's got crisp flavors, but it's got a creamy texture. Does that make yes, sense? Yes, it does. Yeah. It sounds weird, but that's... 100% accurate. There might be like a hint. Maybe the creaminess comes from like a slight like beeswaxy thing going on. Mm-hmm, but mm-hmm. I wouldn't say that this is like honeyed or anything of that nature. No, 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 no. It is very crisp. I think you would mentioned before, I think a green apple a little bit. And I think maybe that kind of ties in with the spearmint and with the, the lemon. It's funny because for as fruity as this is on like when you drink it, I don't think that you pick up as much fruit just by smelling it in the glass. No. I mean, I do, but I also don't. No, I, I told like, you. Sauvignon it was like, like Sauvignon Blanc. Like, like for me, the smell is very green. Green, grassy. I don't get a lot of fruit on the smell at all. I do get the lemon on the smell, but other it's than that. It's more subdued than yeah. I think most other wines. Yeah, but I don't know. It's interesting. I really feel like it tastes like something, and I need... To like go back and look at our wines that we've drank and try and figure out which one. And then I want to taste them side by side. I'm not even kidding. Ooh. Oh, Sarah. So this means this would be a repurchase. Yeah. I mean, this was cheap. Yeah. I was just going to say, I'm not sure if you mentioned how much you Yeah. Paid. No, I didn't. Um, online, you can find this, like, I think for like $11, $12. And I'm pretty sure I bought it for less than 15 Yeah. So. I think I paid 10 bucks for this a couple yeah. years ago. For the price point, this is a very good quality wine. Like, I would much rather be buying this than some California $12 wine. 100%. (laughs) I will, yes, I very much second that. And I, like we said before, I previously drank this wine, an earlier vintage, um, a couple years ago. And I would like, I like told people about it. And I was like, oh my God. I was like... The wine that you've never heard of that you should definitely drink is well, ferment. And someone else besides you had drank this and was like, "Oh, it's good." Really? And I can't remember okay. who told me that. And um, I was like, "Okay, sounds good." Yeah, yeah. Even the people at the wine store at Ray's, this is where mm-hmm. I bought it, were like, "Oh yeah, it's definitely worth a try." I was like, "Okay." I mean, especially if under fifteen, totally doable. Totally. Yeah. So yeah, it's a. I would buy this again, and I dare to say that I want to. Figure out what wine I think it tastes like and try it next to that. Okay. Speaking of, James, I think we're going to be trying to do a blind tasting soon. Yes, we are. Okay, you guys. Stay tuned. The other thing that we could do that I thought of, I have verticals. Oh. So I actually Explain to people what that means. It's the same wine, like the same vineyard and all that stuff, but it's different vintages like lined up so i do have a zinfandel 
And we have our Peter Sellers. Remember we that? We have our Peter Sellers. We've got two years of Peter Sellers from our, our trip to, uh, that was the Sonoma side, right? Yep. Yep. So I think we've got some, I guess, less topic-y things planned, but yes. But fun stuff. Fun so stuff. yeah, we'll probably be taping live, not maybe live or definitely videoing the uh, blind tasting. Oh my God. It's going to be interesting. We need to look like normal humans. <laughs> I mean, you always look like a normal human. I do not. I do not. It's a rare occasion that I look like... Oh my God, that's so untrue. I do not always look like a normal human. Right now, I do not look like a normal human. So, anyway. I I stand by what I said two years ago. I think that this is a good wine. I I honestly feel like if it wasn't for this podcast, I probably wouldn't have bought this. Why would you? Exactly. But what I'm trying to say is, especially at that price point, you know, do something daring. Get the be bold. Get the unique wine. That's right. Be bold. That's right. Yeah. Just get a friend together. Split the bottle. Pay six bucks a piece. Exactly. It's, it's worth a try. Cheaper than you will for a glass of wine at a restaurant. I was like Hungarian wine. This might be crap because I knew nothing about Hungarian wine. Now Here we, we are. Now we know. The more you know. The more you know. All right. All right. Till next time. Cheers. Cheers. Thanks so much for listening. If you like what you hear, please rate, review, and subscribe to our podcast on your favorite podcast listening platform to help spread the DBP word. Check out our website and blog at dbpcheers.com. And don't forget to follow us on Instagram at dbpcheers or on the Drunk Bitches Podcast Facebook page. We'd love to hear from you, so send your questions, comments, and fun wine or topic ideas to dbpcheers at gmail.com. Until next time. Cheers from the girls of DBP. DBP.